0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Intelligent Talk with Ralph McElvenny. Join us every Thursday at 5 p.m. on the City World Radio Network as we discuss topics in
1: politics, art, and current events.
2: We're pleased to have Michael D. Leonardo on the program today. Michael was a high ranking member of the Gambino crime family. He then turned state's evidence and testified against the family. He's one of the highest ranking mafia people to ever testify uh, for the government. We're pleased to have him on as an exclusive interview. And I want to thank uh, Jack Garcia, former special agent of the FBI, for arranging the interview. So, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the program today. Uh, we're very pleased to have you. Thank I just want to ask you. So, just to review your life. Um, obviously, you were involved in the Gambino crime family. You grew up in Brooklyn, I believe. Um, you were born in what, 1954? 55. 55. Sorry, and then um, and we obviously spoke a little bit um, uh, prior to this. But you were saying that growing up in the 60s, your area was heavily there. Was a lot of a lot of mob guys in the area. Is that fair to say? Oh
0: yeah, that's uh, well. Actually, it was called Beth Beach, Brooklyn. At the time uh which is Bench nice encompasses bed beach, but the the hub was uh bed beach, mostly Sicilian immigrants in the turn of the century and um I would say eighty eighty five percent Italians that whole neighborhood
2: so those were kind of the guys who were like the role models they had the i guess the money and the nice lifestyle is that was that fair?
0: yeah, yeah, not everybody was rich. You know, guys were struggling and hustling. Uh, you know, uh, you know, robbing, tr- you know, hijacking trucks, et cetera. Uh, but that was that was the people that we looked up to and uh, kept the neighborhood safe. And uh, those became uh, idols and role models, absolutely.
2: And I should just mention too that I believe it was your grandfather who was involved in the mob too. What What was his name again, Michael?
0: Uh, this is called Mister Jimmy, but on his birth certificate, it's Vincenzo
2: but your father was not involved, correct?
0: No, my, not my father. My great-grandfather, my grandfather, and skipped my father and my uncles. My grandfather did not want my uh, my father and my uncles involved in life.
2: Okay, could you please just explain to me how you got into first as an associate, and then obviously we'll walk through you getting made in 1988, but how you just sort of got first involved with the Gambinos?
0: Well, at birth, I had a birthright, really. You know, if I, if I was gonna make the choice to be in the street or even not to be, uh, you, know, you know, on property of my grandfather. He was alive at the time, so we're associates of him just by, by lineage. Okay. Uh, and then later on, you go on through the life, and you become a street person, and uh, they see that you have the skills to, you know, go further in that life. And, and, and what I mean by that is be criminal, you know, and have loyalty and, uh, and be able to produce, and uh, either have violence, to bring it into life, or you're an earner bringing into life, or just pure loyalty to bring it into the life. So, well, uh, my path was that, as such. You know, uh, they seen that of me. I had two older brothers that were not for the life. They were violent. They were street people, but uh, they didn't understand that life or want to be in that life. They wanted to be on their own and uh, got into drugs in the '60s, and I disqualified them, uh, even if they wanted to be. Myself, I didn't do drugs, and um, I followed, I followed that path because that's something I spotted to as a little boy. You know, my, my role at, uh, you know, 10, 12 years old was to be a captain of the Gambino family when I grew up. You know, it wasn't to be a, a pilot. It wasn't to be a fireman. Could that's where I wanted to be.
2: Could you tell me what some of your first jobs were, Michael, before you got made? Like what types of things you were doing?
0: Oh, you know, you, you start out as a kid. You start out in your own little bag. You know, you had street gangs you participated in, and you know, you fought other guys from other neighborhoods, and you, know, you did some criminal stuff. You did some robbery, robberies or rob trucks, and, uh, you know, from like potato chip trucks. And uh, as kids, you know, just to take the stuff, off meat truck that pulled up, or telephone company truck, whatever pulled up in front of a store that we were hanging out in there, we, we planned to rob as soon as the guy went in. So these are the things that we did. And then we, like I said, we sold these stuff. You know, we didn't sit and the and on it. Uh, we sold all this stuff to make a few dollars. So then, as I got a little older, you know, I started uh, learning how to be a bookmaker, take sport action on, on games, uh, how to shylock money, how to give money at an interest rate. And okay. to my peers, my age group, you know what I mean? They stay in that circle. So that's your elevation through the mob. And then, uh, you know, uh, some of the people that were related uh, to me, you know, my family. You know, brought me a little bit closer. They seem to have these type of skills, and I was going to be a street kid. And uh, brought me closer. And they officially put you on record. But as far as being associated, I was born with that right. Okay. Of, of my grandfather.
2: Now, could you just... Now, obviously, in 1988, I believe you get made, which is you're inducted into the family with John Gotti, Jr. Is that right, 1988?
0: That, yeah, uh, Christmas Eve. We're coming up on an anniversary.
2: Could you please, just a lot of people, could you just tell us what the ceremony was actually like. Cause obviously we've seen it in the movies, but I've never heard someone who actually partook in it to describe what the ceremony was like. Could you just walk us through that?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I told ahead of time that, uh, I was going to be straightened out, which you're not supposed to, but you know, do you get tipped off by your captain or whoever else is going to sponsor you? So, uh, told the time and, and date and a place to meet and, uh, meet them there, you know, you dressed in a suit and tie. Uh, you brought into a room, and um, when you get into this room, there's the uh, well. John Gotti didn't participate in this because his son was a uh, uh, part of the ceremony. Oh, also, John
2: Gotti uh, senior didn't participate, right?
0: Yeah, he, yeah, he did not participate because his son was involved. Okay, and he felt it was a uh, he didn't want to show that kind of nepotism, I guess. Okay, and uh, it was a classy act. It was a very classy act to do the step back and he let Sammy Gravano, Frank Lucchese, and uh, about ten or twelve captains. Uh, the ceremony okay so you walk in this room and uh, junior was already straightened out john jr and another fellow down was straightened out already they went through a ceremony <clears throat> and they said yeah, it's like a rectangular table let's say and they sit yeah, at the head of the table with uh, gravano and uh lucasio and um the questions are you know we've been watching you for a long time uh this is not a club this is a secret society you don't you don't pick us we pick you and um do you want to be part of the society and you, you of course acknowledge yes and uh he tells you uh, which finger do you shoot with and, you know, a pin is taken out safety pin or a straight pin and they pinch your finger and in front of you is a little saint a paper saint you get from a church and they crumble it up put it in your hand and light it on fire if they draw some blood and some blood droplets are put on the saint and then it, it's on fire and you repeat an oath as this uh, paper is burning in your hand. If I betray the oath of a murder, then my soul burns in hell like a saint. So that's basically what. Then you you say yes, of course, and then you drop the ashes on the floor. And congratulations! You you talk to everybody around the table. And, you know, you get the congratulatory uh, kisses and hugs and all that other stuff. And then you sit down, and they they give you the rules. Well, in my, in my case, there was two other fellows, and they went through the same ceremony. Okay, uh, as we sit there. Okay. So that, that's basically a ceremony. They talk to you about people who were divorces and divorces and course years of other families. They talk to you about our rules and our family and then the, the commission rules and all the drugs, etc. And, uh, you know, those, those are all the things. That the rules they tell you is everything you, you get killed for.
2: And do you, so you think the other, the other families have pretty much the same type of ceremony? As uh, Yeah, absolutely. You,
0: sure uh, you know, one example that's uh, a matter of record is uh, John Sr. I've heard the New Jersey faction. Family had given uh, made a ceremony, and they used uh, you know playing cards, a deck of playing cards instead of the saint. And John made him go back and do the whole ceremony all over once he heard about it.
2: John Gotti he did
0: properly. John Gotti Sr., yeah.
2: Why was he involved with the New Jersey family? Uh, how they did it?
0: Uh, well, they, well, we all have checks and balances. Every family of uh, what the rules are or should be, right? Okay. And uh, the New Jersey family at that time, uh, John had a little little stranglehold on them. They 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 sort of uh, came into uh, to us with uh, with their problems, with their issues, and uh, so uh, John was very close to them at the time, and uh, he controlled them oh,
2: the So, if I could just just get you to talk about the family, you were close to John Gotti Senior. Is that right, Michael?
0: Yeah, as close as uh, somebody he let you get. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And you were telling me off the phone when we spoke that you would report to the famous Ravenite Social Club on Mulberry Street, where John Gotti Sr. obviously had those famous meetings and people would come. But he would, you were told to report every day. Is that—is that right? Or every week?
0: Yeah, John had an edict. That he wanted to see everybody's face at least once a week. At the, if you were free, you weren't in prison or infirmed, he wanted to see you at the club. Okay. Were so you a captain or a soldier, even some associates that were going to be in the life. He wanted to observe you, watch you, uh, see how you acted uh, if he didn't know you that well. And, uh, you know, then he would make his assessment of you. But he wanted to keep an eye on everybody. Uh, John uh, Machiavellian traits, would say. Okay. And uh, he used them to help. Um, and w- when he started to see me around, I guess he asked for me to come around more and more as an associate. Okay. And then when I got straightened out, uh, you know, very few people go to John Senior's house. For Christmas or anything. He don't, let, he don't let men in his house. Okay. And uh, the, the, the first uh, New Year's I was there, After the end of the day, uh, John came over to see me and says, Michael, I'm going to be by my house tonight. New Year's come by. After the bells. And I went out stunned. You know, I was there. It was with me, Tony Lee at the time. who was an old-time wise guy. His son. Skinny Dom, and his son, Junior. That's it. Could you tell his me? Mother, his mother, his wife, and his kids. Kids. That's it. So I've done that. I did that for two years. So he brought me not only in the inner circle of the Klein family. Okay. He brought me in the circle of his personal family.
2: Now, were you handling construction then, uh, Michael? did you later no. move into that?
0: No. Now, what happened was I got a job uh, in Local 202 of the Teamsters who uh, worked on high-rise buildings in Manhattan. Okay and uh you know I, I had minimal minimal part i had a job I had a very good job and uh you know benefits and all that and so that was a group lease in a way showing income uh you know my street activity so later on when garanto Dur- uh gets arrested and then later cooperates uh john Gotti senior i think it was like maybe december of 91 I think it was, yeah december of 91 and 90. yeah December of '91, he gives me the uh, construction. that Sammy forfeited by cooperating. I just and then want to get all the construction in New York.
2: I because we were speaking off the phone, and one of the things you said obviously, Sammy the Bull Gravano was the number two to John Gotti Sr. He wrote the the book Underboss, which I read and was a, a, a well selling book. And you were telling me you thought Sammy the Bull changed. He took a lot of steroids. He was very into muscle building, and you thought it affected his his mind. Is that fair to say?
0: Oh yeah, percent. Danny was a different person after uh he got the power in, in the Gambino family. Sammy was always a soldier. Uh he had he had the capability to be a captain, no question. No question. The guy was a force in that family. Uh but Stanley was a street guy. He was a, he gave you a street decision, you know, and what I mean by that was he wasn't gonna give you a political decision based on money or power or anything like that. Uh he was he was for, he was a blue collar guy and he gave you a blue collar decision when he was in the street. And then when Frank DeChico, the underboss, gets killed after they, you know, killed Paul Castellano, you know, uh, Sammy was now made a captain by that time when they killed Paul. So within, I would say, within five months, he was part of this administration. He started out as a concierge.
2: Oh, I, I didn't you realize know, he, then, he took, then, okay. So after Castellano gets killed, he shortly moves up to Paul Castellano, of course, the famous killing, 1985 in front of Spark Steakhouse, where then John Gotti takes control of the Gambino crime family.
0: Um, so yes, yeah, that was the 16th of December. We had that anniversary a couple of days ago.
2: Yeah, that that was of course a famous
0: Great, strange anniversaries, huh? That I can remember.
2: <laughs> My father was actually I was actually, I mean, no. was actually eating at Sparks that um, lunch, not that night, but that lunch. But of course that that was um, that was big news all over the world when, when that occurred. Oh, so yeah, yeah, c- yeah. You, you told me a story where Sammy the bull had taken has rubbed someone out basically, and he was looking at you in kind of a menacing way and saying something to the effect of. Do you think what I did was okay? Could you tell that story?
0: Yeah, it was a, a fellow he grew up with who was, a, who was a made guy in the family, and uh, he was uh, very close with Sam. They were partners for, for decades, I would say. And uh, his name was Willie Melito. Willie Melito was a great guy, a regular guy. Uh, he, he a guy that would wear jeans and cowboy boots and a cowboy hat okay. like, at times as a goof and walk around. He wasn't a suit and tie guy by any means. Neither was Sammy Gravano. They were about the same. And... Uh, through Sammy's elevation, through you know, the ranks, Louie was in jail when uh, Paul Castellano gets killed. And uh, Sammy and Louie had to pull him out. And uh, there was an incident where uh, Louie Melito had uh, an argument, just one-on-one with Sammy, and he, had, he cursed him. And uh, Sammy, I guess, didn't forget it. Uh, and he set up to his murder. He murdered his best friend. Uh, so Paul his best friend I was also very close to I got very close to uh, Louie myself so when this guy not only was he murdered he was missing okay so uh, I didn't know I didn't know he was going to be killed so I'm I'm going around the neighborhood and I'm asking for Louie where's Louie I'm looking for Louie I see him all the time right so uh, one day I get a call from Gravano and I go see him and he tells me come on let's take a walk he said I heard you've been looking for Louie right I said yeah where's this guy you know he says He's not around no more. I said, you me. What? Now I'm looking, and I realize what he just said. Okay. So I'm nice to stay quiet. He says, "You have a problem with it?"
1: <laughs> right. So of course. Well, I look of course. At him
0: and says, "Sammy, uh, if you're okay, I'm okay," and that was the end of it. Right. You know, and, and that was that was a test. And you those you know, those little tests. I got. I you know, I know Sammy since I'm ten or twelve years old. He was spending with my brothers. Now you're talking about a guy who's testing you. That you know forever. And you start to say, Louie Melito's dead. You know what I mean? Uh, and uh, now he's tested me and how I feel about it. Right, I, right. I give the wrong ass, I'm dead. This is, these are microseconds you have to be able to think of this. It okay. has to come out really naturally. You, you, there's really no thought process. It just has to come out, you know? Otherwise, you go. You would have killed me too, probably. Right, and, and he you thought I was going to re- revenge his death.
2: He admitted to killing yeah. 19 people in court, and maybe he killed more than that. I don't know.
0: No, I th- I, th- I think he gave up a lot. Well, <laughs> you know that speculation through a course of trials and try to taint them. Not that nineteen is, a, a, you know, a minimal number. That's serial killer right there. You know, and uh, something I you know I used to wonder when I used to look at this guy and and you know as you as I'm going through the life and you get put on different work and, and plots to kill people. You say when when do you become a serial killer? Like you know, right? You know, what, what deems you a serial killer? You know, after a while. a serial killer to me is a, is not, is a matter of numbers. <laughs> That's what I say. My, you know? My, my, so, as the numbers mount. He became a serial killer.
2: Absolutely. So when you were then, if I could just take you to the point where now Gravano, obviously Gravano betrays uh, John Gotti Jr. The FBI plants bugs where Gotti is speaking. They see that um, Gotti is, is, is bad mouthing uh, Gravano. Gravano then decides to testify against them, and they both go away. Now, you are then left in charge of the construction for the family at that point. Is that right? That's correct. And could you just tell me what it, what it just basic, just some basic idea of, of your operations and how the family made money and what exactly you did in the construction business. Like what what your day was like or your week or just some basic examples of how you how the family made money and how exactly did the steel makers pay you? Did you own the the, the concrete companies? I mean, how did that work, please?
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, when I, when I took over for Sammy, you know, that was a very lucrative business. Uh, you know, you could you, between our family and several other families, we c- controlled all of the uh, labor unions and uh you know engineers you know make the elevators go up and down every aspect of, of every union in construction one family or another controlled okay and we worked in concert not in conflict as sometimes people say we you know it, it was all about the money okay and um when he went away you know we had the the, the gambino family had all to say about concrete we gave people permission to go into concrete business and we got paid from every concrete company there was. Okay. As for family, let's say, like the Genovese family had concrete company around them. We split it with them. Okay. Uh, the, the shakedown every month. Which, you know, the word shakedown, you know, yes, we're taking money from people, but it became a way of life. It was just a tax that was uh, associated with a company so we could do more business, guarantee his business, and get paid a a higher, f- uh, higher fee for his concrete. It was collusion. We kept the price up by keeping all the companies under our umbrella, every family, and make sure the price nobody went to an uh, uh, a price war. Nobody put anything on sale. Let's say. And Michael. And uh, so we kept it. Yeah,
2: done. Why didn't one of these people who you were forcing to pay money? Why didn't they go to the FBI? Were they just too afraid to do that? Were they afraid they would be killed? Is that was it just fear that kept people in
0: line? No, look, like I said, early on, absolutely, absolutely. You know, decades and decades of stuff to build up to a point of them being in a comfort zone, whether it be a, a contractor putting up a building, or
1: how you
0: know, a a carpenter company, you know, put the wood up or metal studs or hang ceilings, whatever the trade, subcontractor trade was, including the concrete company, it was hand in glove. They were only too glad to pay us. Why? Again, we kept the prices uh, up high on the concrete. The, 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 these people were guaranteed their work, that they were never never going to get thrown off a job. these okay. Companies, and and they were they had a, a wage up and above, uh, w- you know, a bid up and above what uh, they would normally have. There was no c- there was no price wars, no competition in bidding process. You know, the bidding price when Paul Castellano and the other bosses decided to, to start this concrete club and they all went to jail, some guys for hundred years. Okay. Was because they got they got really greedy and they colluded too much about how to put all the the developers. You know, I'm not going to name developers right now because there's some alive. But oh. put these developers in the box. Okay. And, and you know, and, and uh, the guys who put up the superstructure and put the steel up, you know, they knew the developers that they were going to be really overcharged now for these jobs because the, the old bids were rigged on, on that level. So, uh, you know, they, the FBI got involved at the time that was within the... Probably one of the biggest cases, a culture in Oscar involved that you know all the families and everything. Like I said, guys went to jail.
2: For, the mafia, the commission case uh, in the mid eighties, the Giuliani commission
0: thing. case. That, yeah, that's it. Very good. It was a commission case. That's right. So uh, when it got down to Gravano, you know it was a little bit watered down from there, but still absolutely strong. And that by the time it got to me, you know now Sammy flipped, and Sammy's giving them everything. So the government, by the time they debrief Sammy with everything, they know every guy. To be concrete. What they're paying, who they are, why they are, who's the contacts. So when I get it, it's really like a curse.
2: Right? Because, you you joke to me. You like thanks it's my ticket to go to. You you, you joked at me. Come. it's like my ticket to go to jail. You said to me right uh, when we spoke before. Yeah,
0: exactly. Because you know you don't know how these guys are going to react. These contractors. Look, the contractors stood up as far as we knew, but who knew who was going to be an operative for the government not to get arrested? You know what I mean? Okay. They don't want guys that were, they're getting in their minds extorted, because then they can't play them as the victim. If they say they're hand in glove with us in concert that they're not getting extorted, how do you how do you how does the government charge me with extortion? You know what I mean? We're so, working together then. So, so, so they want to keep them as the victims. So in, so Mike in the public side.
2: So there really wasn't much violence at this part. People were pretty much generally cooperating for the reasons you mentioned before. Is that fair to say?
0: Absolutely. They made more money.
2: Okay. And also, you were also involved in um, what? that There was a, a strip club in Atlanta and also Scores, the famous nightclub in New York. You were getting money from them as well. Is that in addition to the construction? I mean, I assume the construction was your main bread and butter.
0: Yes, it definitely was. Uh, Scores was, uh, and the uh, gold club in Atlanta. That, that fell into my lap. Uh, a fellow named Bobby Borrello was murdered, uh, and he, the, the kid. The guy, not the kid, the guy who had uh, the gold club was with him. And when he died, Jr. gave him to me the service. Uh, real good guy, good family guy. But knew the club business. Started out with discotheques and then went to Atlanta and got a lot of the strip clubs and made a ton of money. Okay. they're doing $400,000 a week on uh, time in the room. 400000 a, a week? they driving the prices. Wow. You know, and that's how I get involved there. And, uh, you know, I was arrested in a case down there. They tried to make a prostitution case out of it because you know, some of these dancers left with guys and they're, they're trying to say that they were, the Gold Club were, you know, was in concert with that, which they were not, absolutely not. And, uh, but there was an arrest and so it became high profile because of uh, like scores that was around us also. Uh, they had a lot of high profile people, a lot of sports people, a lot of actors, a lot of actresses went there, singers. You know? So when it became, the sports angle was huge. Because they wanted to say that uh, we made the mob infiltrate sports, and then you know maybe six games and stuff like that. That was that was their prelude into these indictments.
2: Mike, um, may, may and, I uh, stop you and ask? I remember you you beat that indictment, obviously in Atlanta. That reminds me of you. You mentioned, I think, one of the things that I read that one of the celebrities in Hollywood was, was it Steven Seagal or was it? Sorry, Sylvester Stallone came to you with some requested help. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, sure. And could you tell me about that? I mean, you mentioned celebrity. I mean, how did how did Sylvester Stallone find you to even ask for help on something?
0: Well, he reached out to some people that knew me, and I wound up going to meet him about it. And um, he had an issue with, uh, I think, one of his mother's husbands and uh, about some stock deal and some other stuff that they were going through. And um, he wasn't getting anywhere with the guy. That was who my contacts. The guy was from Philly. And through my context. Uh, I reached out finally, and I found him, and uh, I met him. The guy was a gentleman, and the people that were that put us together. I sat in on dinner, and the guy says, "Michael, whatever you want, I'll do. You know, tell tell uh slide. You know, uh, doors open now, and uh, whatever he needs, he'll do." So I sent the message back. to alone. I'm uh, not not even sending a message. I met him back. I met him in New York. I met him at the the plaza de Pierre, one of those hotels.
1: Two great hotels. um,
0: I gave him the the news. He said, thanks a lot, but I don't need the favor anymore. I'm not worried about it anymore. (laughs) So I looked at him with my head, you know, crook, I just went through all of this. You know, like you made me go run through the hoop for you. And now you're refusing what what you wanted, what you couldn't get. Okay. Maybe he took a step back, or maybe he, he really didn't need the money, or whatever the, the situation was. But I respected Sleidman in Florida a couple of times. Real good guy, gentleman, uh, good father. So as far as I know, uh, you know, we carried on a little relationship after that, but nothing was nothing. He was with us, officially with us at that point, because I did him a favor. The Gambino family did him a favor. Okay. So, but, uh, you know, I never asked him for anything. Good guy, like I said, and uh, that was it.
2: Can I just take you then back to the the construction? I mean, is that the family construction business, was that 60 or 70% of the money coming in for the family, approximately?
0: Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know about 60%. You had the garment industry. You had the, the uh, garbage business, the garment industry. You had a the porno industry. Yeah, I mean, so many industries. Well, maybe i say a third. And you tell we approximately, so, much, so much money was coming in for so many different schemes.
2: Can you tell me approximately their, their yearly revenue, like, like in 1994 or 95, man, are we talking 20 million dollars a year, 30 well, million?
0: Well, it was way reduced from, from when Paul Castellano was boss because of the commission case, and then with Sammy involved. Like it, when I when I took over the construction, I was very careful not to just go out there and say, hey, look what I got! I got, I got the whole city over here! I'm going to go have to shake everybody down." I did the opposite. Yeah, I took it down a couple of steps because there was no reason to put these contractors that were uncomfortable. Now, you know. Uh, up in front. So whoever really was uncomfortable, I backed up on it. I was light on So I, the money that was from, let's say, forecast Castellano to Sammy to me was way less, maybe 25% of the money was coming in. So, I don't know, maybe my 10-year, totally, tenure totally 10000000 Okay. Maybe. And- I, you know, I'm not it's hard to put the numbers together, but I'm going to guess, you know, the concrete, you know, let's see, maybe uh, 50,000 a month from concrete companies, et cetera, something like that.
2: Okay, and just could you just give me your opinions then, of um, of John? You were telling me that you thought John Gotti Jr. was it John Gotti Jr. or John Gotti Senior who you thought was very well read? I, I forget which
0: one. Both of them are very well read. Uh, uh, you know this this thing they thought John Senior being an idiot and a fool. You know, you know. I, I have a saying: is <clears throat> you know intelligent people, smart people, do dumb things, and John Senior did some really dumb things. Even okay. though he was an intelligent guy, he was a smart guy. He was intelligent. John C was very, very well read, and uh, he knew people. He knew how to read people. Okay. He just did things out of ego. And uh, John had this thing; he wanted to, you know, be the boss of all five families. He had his megalomania, where you could pass to him, probably. You know, uh, John. Uh, John needed to be the boss of everybody.
2: Didn't Vincent the Chin of the, of, the, of the Genovese family try to kill him because he had, he had killed Castellano without permission from the family? Is that correct? The five families? Yeah, not only
0: him. He, 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 in the league, he went with the uh, Lucchese family. Uh, Tony Corallo was the boss at the time when they killed Paul. And he went to them, and uh, they dispatched uh, Gas Pipe and Vic and Yusuf from the Lucchese family to do the work. And uh, we, they killed three guys on us, uh, you know, on the sneak. Without you know, without being on record with our family, of course, they didn't get permission to kill our guys. so and we didn't know who was killing our guys, they were mysteries. Frankie DiCicco gets blown up April thirteenth, eighty six. And Lino gets killed I think it's October or November of ninety. He gets shot by the two cops, the mafia cops. Right. The famous and mafia again, cops. We didn't yeah. know it at the time. This is stuff we learn now, you know. And then Bobby Borello, after John Senior, and Sammy and Tommy Gambino, they all get arrested. Um he gets killed April thirteenth. Ironically, five years to the day that uh, um, Frank DeChico is blown up. So we had three mysteries about uh, who's killing our guys. So later on, we find out, you know, through gas price material, that it was a Chin leak with the Lucchese guys, and so to take out John Senior and everybody else.
2: One of the things we also discussed about I don't this Mafia Commission. I was asking you the total size of the Gambino family. I think you told me it was what. 260 people, was that right? 26 captains? Yeah,
0: 255, 260, somewhere around there. That's our strength. There's numbers given out to each family. Uh, they, they can't go above that number. They can't make new members unless somebody... You know, let's say you're at the numbers 260, and uh, somebody dies. You're at 259 through attrition, then you can make one guy.
2: But that's what I found yep. fascinating, that it's not the FBI which limits the size of these families. It's the Mafia Commission, which is checking each family so that one family does not become too strong. Is that basically what it is
0: yeah well they, they want to have a balance and, and, and you know funny they did that with the concrete co- with the concrete club you know if you were doing x amount of dollars as a concrete company and when you got these fixed bids you only have to do that much work a year also so yeah they, they had their rules and uh, their rules were put in place for a reason you know at that time and uh, they didn't want anybody to uh, usurp another family that was strong i guess at that time and it's like you know, the, the philosophy, you can't kill a boss, you kill a boss without commission approval, you die, just like what John did.
2: Right, that's you why know, John just gave
0: himself a death sentence for killing a boss. I Otherwise, everybody would be killing the boss. Every day there'd be a new boss. There's some, you know, some crew with seven guys, there was six guys who would say, hey, let's kill this this guy. We'll, we'll be the boss. So to stop that anarchist thinking, uh, you know, they, they they implemented that rule for protection and survival. Did,
2: did you ever meet Vincent the Chin Gigante?
0: No. Nope.
2: What I find fascinating, obviously, he had that crazy act where he'd walk around in a bathrobe and went to West Village and not shave, and it really, for the most part, worked until the very end of his life. He lived to be a free man until the very end. It seemed to be an effective act.
0: It was, but you know what? Uh, I'm not going to say it wasn't effective. It was. Uh, But is that a life to lead? I mean, you want to live your life like that, walking around in a bathrobe looking like a hobo? Right. Why would you want to even be boss if you're going to lead your life like that? Why give it to somebody else? If you're worried about going to jail, I'm not saying anybody should go to jail, but you know you assume that position, and uh, you know what are you getting out of it? You know you you're undercover, you're running your family, but you have no life, your personal life, yourself. And and the and the, the, the complete opposite, as we know, is John Gotti. He went way at, at, off the radar, right? You
1: know,
0: uh, with this, with, with with his act, you know, he destroyed a whole family in it with his act. So you know you got to be somewhere in the middle, uh, you know. So there's uh, other guys in like you know in the past that have, have survived, and not that they had to the scrutiny that there's around. So like you know, I thirty d- years with of Russia.
2: I just want to take you to that you know to the difficult time in your life when obviously now the government closes in and you're put in that um, w- the charges that that put what what is the detention facility you were in Manhattan? The Manhattan detention facility. What was it called? Yeah, no,
0: that was MCC. MCC. NBC's yeah, in Brooklyn. And you were
2: telling me that they kept the air conditioning on you. As a, it was really almost, it was a very difficult environment, correct?
0: Yeah, well, after I, I, uh, I flipped and then I had that suicide attempt, they threw me in the hole. They brought me back to uh, MCC. They put you in this uh, terrorist wing. It's on the 11th floor in the six cells. And uh, it was built just for the terrorists. I believe it was for the 93 bombing. I think that's when they, they put those terrorists. They built it just for them. And they utilize it sometimes to uh, really give it to some guys, kind guys and others, who uh, who they feel they need to give a good, uh, hard time to. So I guess I fell into that category. So, you know, it was quite a time there. I was in a cell uh, thrown in naked, uh, no air condition. Uh, no air con- With the air condition pumping in the winter, excuse me. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, hard conditions, a uh, filthy cell. They would flood the cell on me. I wake up, the cell was flooded uh moved me to another cell, and then they blow dirt in the cell through the vents. Um, you know, my fu- my food was putrid, uh, you know, putting pubic hairs in it, sending it up, dead raw chicken, then the overcooked chicken, uh, you and, know, unedible stuff. I would throw it in a toilet bowl. This was all to put uh, pressure, right,
2: 24- pressure on you, right? Mm-hmm. This was all to put pressure on you, all these things, right, to testify. Is that right? Well, well you
0: know, nobody's ever told me that. But you could assume, uh, you could assume that, or just the BLP is a bunch of sadists, which I know they're a bunch of sadists. A lot of people that, that do that job uh, are sadists. Okay, and uh, they become sadists. Maybe they don't walk into that job, but after a while, I like, think get pleasure out see somebody and suffer. Could you tell me you about? Know, and, uh, yes. Yeah.
2: Can you tell me about your son too, and the pressure that that brought on you? That that what exactly John Gotti Jr. did with your with your oldest son, and how that affected your testimony and your decision to testify?
0: Well, it was it starting to stop? I had stopped. after I tried to commit suicide. I tried, uh, tried to get out of the life that way, and get off this planet, because uh, I just couldn't see myself ever being a cooperator. Uh, it wasn't in my fibers, you know. And uh, so, uh, I'm sitting in this, in this, in this, in these conditions up there at MCC. And my son Michael had not visited me because that uh, terrible divorce with my wife, my first wife. <laughs> Excuse me my first wife, and uh, she was holding him back to up the scene while I was in prison, when I, before I flipped, and uh, now I'm in the cell, and all of a sudden I cooperate, and my son Michael comes up. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, he comes up with Madeline and the little baby Anthony. Anthony was just two years old. Um, and he starts telling me about a visit he had with uh, John Gotti Jr. He, John Gotti Jr. was in Raybrook prison at the time. And uh, as soon as I heard that, I really got angry I know he's sending me a message now. I could get to your son. Even though he knows my family, he knows my son well, uh, he's called Uncle John. Uh, but that don't mean nothing when it comes to this life. He's sending me a message, shut your mouth. Right. And my son goes on to say, his, uh, your Uncle John still loves you. Uh, you know, he's you he made a mistake and he's going to treat you like his brother Peter because his brother Peter was uh, a foolish, always in trouble, stupid nonsense. And uh, it's his brother and he loves him, but he's going to forgive him anyway, even no matter what he does wrong, I guess. So he's telling me the same thing, and now I'm getting more angry with this, because uh, now he's really trying to influence my son to influence me not to cooperate. And uh, I try to stick my whole finger, my whole fist down my throat. You know, the the Italian thing, I guess, when you get mad, you bite your hand. Right. And uh, I told Michael, you don't understand, it's over. you already got out that I try to cooperate. Your Uncle John is not your Uncle John that's number one anymore, he's using you. And if I walk out of the cell tomorrow, they're killing me. You know, I, I don't think you get that. And, and the There's other, no forgiveness here. The, the other
2: thing, too, is that they also cut off the money that was flowing to your family, too, right? And that was another reason why you decided to testify, correct?
0: No, it wasn't It wasn't any reason, to tell you the truth, Ralph. Uh, what happened was, you know, when I got locked up in this case, I had the case in Atlanta, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I got acquitted in August of uh, 2000. I was arrested again, re-arrested with this uh, murder case. In June two th- uh, June two thousand one, and uh, I had a little, little limited of time out, and uh, you know I had plenty of time. I interacted with these guys. Nobody ever said they were annoyed about anything, or mad about anything. I, I kept bringing money in on the construction and everything else, stock market, construction, everything else. Out I'm there. sorry, I yeah, we, 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 we didn't Nobody talk in. about we, we didn't
2: we didn't talk about the stock market. Just a quick thing: you were doing pump and dump, right? Where you would like you would control these Wall Street firms, you would dump these crappy companies out for for lack of a better term and, and um, then the stock would crash and you'd make money from selling the stock. Is that right?
0: That's correct. I, 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 I never even walked in those buildings but uh, yeah I had some guys around me that were doing that and uh, they were very very good at it along with, uh, with all of the other five four families that were there. Even Jersey five families you could say because they were very big in it also. Stock market. So the whole city every family had their groups. I just had one guy in my family doing it and uh they made a lot of money. Did you control and the we stock? made money for the Gambino family. Did
2: you control the stock market with the stock firm or just have one no, guy no, in it? No. Nobody
0: controls the stock market. I'm None sorry. That is. Every family was independent and autonomous on what they did. Did we work again? Did we work together? Absolutely. On certain deals, because guys were up there bumping into each other and they were having fights of who gets whose book. These books were like old, these black books. They would go with all these people's names and all over the country, maybe all over the world. So when the guy would get flying, everybody fought. Excuse me for that book. It was property of the company. It was property of the guy. So that's why we had to be involved, also, to straighten out those things. But, but these are,
2: they, i mean—I have gotten calls from those brokers. Essentially, it's just it's essentially what you're doing is legal, right? I mean, it is legal to push and sell a bad stock, correct?
0: Yeah, but most of these guys weren't licensed to do that. Oh, I see. They weren't licensed. These are the kids who were showing up with jogging suits and sneakers, with their feet up on their desk. You know, just just taking a shot they calling people. They're cold calls. So, uh, you know, they, and, and the intent, the conspiracy was there that they were robbing everybody. They were going to build up these stocks, you know, sell it out and then pull the rug out for under once they had the, uh, you know, the stock at a cheaper rate or had warrants on the company and stuff like that. So they were, you know, so they, it was all a scheme. It wasn't to make anybody make money. It was just to get
2: People in. So I'm sorry, I I distracted you. So now you you tell me about the cutting off of the family and and the money to supply to you and why you flipped. And you were saying you were still bringing in money through your stock and through the uh, real estate. So please continue from that.
0: Yeah, well, like I said, after the, uh, after the uh, the Atlanta case, I came home and everything was okay. I okay. was some trips back and forth to Florida to decompress a little bit after that case which was four months on trial to the day. So uh, you know, Pete Gotti came to me one day. He says, "I heard you want to move to Florida." I says, uh, yeah, I've been looking for something, but I'm not moving to Florida. I'm here. He says, well, you stay in New York. I don't need another captain in Florida. So, it, you know, it's a little strange why I bring that up. Is If they were mad at me or they think I was doing something wrong, robbed the money, right? Because I only had a couple of months out. Right. What? What? Why would they want me to stay in New York? He would have broke me, put me on the shelf. He would have killed me. They would have ate me. Whatever they needed to do, they would have, they would have took care of business. This is that, John
2: Gotti's brother, right? John, John Gotti senior's brother. Yeah,
0: he was the boss. Okay. Yeah, he was the boss. They just put, they just, well, let me, if I may digress. When I, beat, when I won the case in Atlanta, they just officially put a new administration. In. The family was run by committee before that. A, a group of others, three to five guys were running the family. Now they put a real administration in place where Pete Gotti was the boss. Arnold Squiteri was the underboss, and Joseph Carrazzo was the concierge. So we had a, we had an administration in place. You know, okay. So this is it's so strange that when I get locked up that, that the dynamic changes. That I'd be, all of a sudden I become a bad guy. because I was robbed and I was doing X, Y, and Z. So like I said, up until May, I was meeting with Pete all the time. You know, and, uh, and uh, I, there was no issues. I just bring the money.
2: And you think you know? it was po- it was politics, that's right, that's to to strength to get you out because you were you were too powerful. Is that is that right?
0: Well, that, that's what else could it be? Besides jealousy, somebody's ego, and uh, now, now you know, it's not even that I was arrested. My brother-in-law, Frankie, who's already in jail, a uh, soldier of my crew, was arrested. Eddie Garofalo, who's uh, you know, my partner in the business, was arrested. And these guys were all Gravano holdovers. These guys were all Gravano. Uh, Louis Valeria, who was a captain, was arrested in my case. So the whole crew was off the street. You know, and I had my other guy, Louis, uh, Little Joe D'Angelo, he was uh, with Sammy, and his father was with Sammy, his sister were kids. And uh, he was in prison. And I don't, uh, my whole crew just about was in prison. So we were wiped out off the street. Okay. So now when I get locked up, you know, first day, you know, from the first day, I'm not, nobody's getting any money. You know, and, uh, and I, I start to get, uh, you know, a little pissed off with this money. You know, I got to see families out there. I got to pay lawyers. You know, right. where are we going there? So as, as time went on, I, I was getting angry and angry. I started sending messages out. What's going on here? You know? Uh, Mano with the with the stock market, he was bringing uh, 50000 a month at that time.
1: Okay. My last
0: payment was fifty. You know, I, I gave it out to my guys. I didn't keep the whole fifty, and I gave uh, 20% to the bag, the family. Whenever I got money from them, they got 20%. So, you know, so it's, it's not that anybody got shortchanged. Everybody were getting, got what they had to get. T-
2: 10000 a month then. If you were getting fifty at, at a
0: minimum, at a minimum, okay. You know, and then if we got more, they got more, and every the guys that I put included in this, because I kept guys eating. You got to make guys eat and a good living, you know, that were with me.
2: So you were, you know, com- so
0: you, I gave them that.
2: You were effectively completely shut down, correct? I mean, and then, and so you're, yeah. And so, so then, then you make the decision to testify, obviously, and you. Uh, no, 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 this no.
0: would happen. This would happen. As we get, as this is going on from, from uh, let's say, July, when I realized I'm not getting any money, because uh, Madeline, my girlfriend, uh, was allowed one one friend. I wasn't married at the time, so she's considered a friend. She came up on a visit, and uh, I said, how's everything going? Anybody come by? No, let me know. And, uh, you know, without saying money, anybody come by? Because I always told her, anything ever happened, she never knew my business. No woman ever knew my business. You know? You'll be taken care of. Don't worry about it. Nobody's okay. coming by the house. Now, another month goes by. Another month goes by. Now, I'm sending messages out, you know, through, uh, through attorneys and, uh, and and people that are on, on visits through my partner, Eddie. You know, they don't know I'm writing letters with the attorneys. They don't know what's inside my messages. And I say, go find this guy. Go give it to him. Let him read it. And after you read it, burn it or rip it up in little pieces. You know, make sure they're right. So, I don't put the lawyer in, in, in this. You know, I don't go my privilege and I don't get a his license this guy. So anyway, uh, you know, I get a message that I was robbing, me and Eddie, my partner, Sammy's brother-in-law, were robbing 15000 a month from a, a steel company in New Jersey. So by the way, I called Eddie because he had habits of doing that, you know, taking money, and I had to pull him up a couple of times. So I called him down, and I tell him, is this true? He said, Michael that's not true. And now, for the first time, I really believe Eddie that he didn't rob anything. Right. Because there was no steel company that we had control over doing that kind of work in the, in the city. Fifteen thousand a month's a lot of money for one company.
1: Right.
0: You know? gotta do massive building build a World Trade Center? You know, uh, where's the job? So I sent a message back out. I said it's not true. So uh part of that message was, Listen, I don't remember dying and I don't remember getting life. I may come home one day. What are you guys doing? So I basically threatened him. You know, I was I was steamed up and I, I sent a bad message because if i came home there was going to be a problem anyway someone would be with them or them with me for sure because now there's a new administration in place i'm not saying there's some guy that can be replaced tomorrow these people in, uh, have positions so uh next message i get about three weeks later and then it's a, an odd message is uh madeline comes up and uh, with the baby and uh, my friends couple of my friends one of one's friend is the father uh, as a wise guy in my crew an old time. He was about 80 years old, 78, 80 at the time. And his father was my grandfather's friend going back to 1900. So, yeah, a long history with these people. So uh, they tell Madeline to tell me from this guy Philly, this wise guy in my crew, you know, they should. it's not right what they did to Michael. So I'm looking at her and I said, what do you mean? Right? She said, I don't know, something up with a shelf. She didn't understand what they told her. Girl, you know she I mean, don't know about street i should say that again it's just Philly said and father said that it's not right what they did to you and uh something about a shelf i told him, get up and leave I ended the visit. Right. The matter with you. Michael, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry
2: to. I have less than like eight, eight minutes with you left. I just want to ask. So, you, yeah. you basically yeah. you, you do testify. Then you enter the witness protection program. And what was that like? What was it like? I mean, was it? I know you eventually left the witness protection program. But living within that, was it just very confined? Were you regulated? Could you not leave your city? Was it just? Was it too constraining for you?
0: Uh, it's it's very restrictive. They make it that restrictive. They make it hard, so you sign out. They they really don't want you in there. They don't want nobody in there. They want to go play golf, and paint their houses. Really? Uh, so they make it as hard as possible. Yeah, it's the marshal service. It's not the FBI. They have no control over that. It's not the uh, prosecutor's office. Once you get into the marshal service, it's a different marshal service that you know controls prisons or and and does you know lock up people on the on the uh, like bounty hunters. That's not that type. These specific little group that they supposedly never acknowledged. This you know that don't exist. So these people, you know, they they, they get you, they get after a while after a while you get a new identity, new social security, new ID, new driver's license. You gotta go through all the motions yourself basically. And um you know, there's limited funds at that point. They, they, they're not throwing money at you. I you know, got one uh, my first time I mean, I think I got twenty two hundred a month for three people, I had to pay for everything. We can do twenty two hundred a month.
1: Okay, so so, so great
0: it th- free? Absolutely, but is it restrictive? Yeah. So they, then you, you start you start out with nothing. You, know, you got no ID. You got no history. You got no credit history. You have nothing. So what? Do you, they they just throw you out there. Go get Go fend. So it's it's real tough with with a family. A guy by myself, a little different. You live like a Viking, but when you got family, little kids around, it's it's tough.
2: Yeah, I can I can imagine. And so, when did you make the decision to leave? In the last year or so, or?
0: No, no. I left it, and I think it was two thousand seven or eight. I signed out, and
2: and you say they actually want you to sort of they make it difficult on purpose to to keep so people are not on the dole, so to speak. It's almost like welfare to get try to get people yeah.
0: off. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, it's not just me. And, and this, this, thing, and I told a guy, I told one of the marshals one day, I says I can, I can imagine me. I, you know, right now I'm I'm really hot. I said you're giving me a hard time. I, what I say by hard is that the government needs me. I testified at 15 trials and one grand jury, 16 times. So, and through this process, you know they really couldn't screw me that much. But I said, what? What, what about the other guys? What do you do? Give them two guns when they leave here after six months? You just want to throw these people out? Said, you're not, you're not teaching them anything. You're not doing anything for anybody. You're gonna send guys back to prison. What's the matter with you? Let, let me ask I'm you. I got it for that.
2: Let me ask you a question. If you had to do. Knowing what you know now, and obviously for someone who's thinking about going into this life, and the government to me is so strong with so much ability for surveillance, whether it's here or you know someone speaking in Russia or all around the world, the government is so strong with surveillance. Do you think it's it's worthwhile to go into this life? I mean, obviously it's it's exciting, and I know you you told me before you have to just accept that jail is a big possibility. But if you had to do it all over again, would you have taken a different different course, knowing what you know now?
0: Nope. Nope. It was in my blood. Okay, It was definitely in my blood, you know, and uh, every fiber of my body from a kid. That's what I wanted to do. Now, uh, the, if the way the world is today, they're not killing the, the, the whole mob on, on a whole, the whole, every every family. They're not killing at the rate they did. Not even close why, to why it.
2: Why is that? Because scrutiny?
0: I, I think because of the lessons of, of people like me and other people who cooperated and know that one day... That, uh, you know, you, you want to start killing people, somebody's going, to, somebody's going to bite you on the ass, and they're going to testify you're going to be doing life. So I think the, the reason, and and plus, the, you know, the 80s, if I wish we had more time, the 80s were a, a time of wildness, craziness. Something was in the air where every family, not only in New York, Philadelphia, and other families in Chicago, they were killing everybody. I don't know what the hell happened. Okay. You look back and reflect on the 80s and go to Austria, I mean, everybody was killing everybody. This was insane. So, if you take the murders out, right, Ralph? Okay. If you take the massive drug dealing, as is, uh, you know, the uh, from Sicily to uh, Canada, to New York, et cetera, connection. You take those massive drugs away. What's the government going to pinch you for? Mopery, right? <laughs> Bookmaking, Shallock, and you know, doing a construction deal. What are they going to What are you going to get? Three years, five years, seven years? I mean, what are you going to get no time. So now is a better time to be involved because you're not going to be willing to go kill anybody most likely you're not you know and i would say it's 99.9 there's no bodies very few guys get killed you know and the and, and the next thing is you know no drug deal nobody's doing any these massive drug deals you're gonna get life
2: gosh that's For 40 interesting or 50
0: years where you make these it's not paddle palatable to stay in prison over here if you get a bad job and you go to prison you know what I mean? Give me five years. I'll go do five years. Wash away my record. Give me five. Give me seven years. I'll go do seven years right now. Make <laughs> Michael Eben again. You know what I mean? I, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, so those, those bids uh, what we call skid bids if you're in the street. Like, you don't even take your socks off of those bids. You know, so uh, but when you're facing these murder counts, you know, it, 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 and you're taking down the hierarchies. Now, there's no more buffers. The hierarchies fell apart about maybe family
2: that's interesting Michael that ironically you're saying is actually even though with all the Rico and the and the extra government surveillance and everything you're saying it's actually somewhat of a better time to go in because the violence has been cut down and um, those other activities are not doing as much and it's more it's less stringent penalties that's that's interesting I wouldn't have thought that
0: yeah well I think a little different at your time <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah you know it, absolutely it's more lucrative part if you uh, in some substance this is a a great organization. I'm not saying it's 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 a good organization, but a great organization that was put together by a bunch of Italian immigrant criminals. Now, if you just take your network of every family between here and then go to Italy and everywhere over the world, you could sell water, the restaurants. You could sell bread, go in the bread business. You could sell linen, you go in linen business. You could go in any business you want that's border. I call legitimate in one way, but anytime there's a wise guy there, it's never legitimate because we don't call the cops. So you could go with any business with our network and make, be a millionaire and make plenty. Of, if you're not a millionaire, you make three, four thousand a week, five thousand a week, doing nothing. You don't have to go out and sell drugs, right? Well, and if that's... the people at the top take care of the people that are capable of killing, that are not capable of earning, then you got you got a perfect world. You got to let everybody eat. Everybody has to earn a living if they're going to swear to kill somebody for you when, they, when you pinch their finger. Take an oath, a conspiracy to murder from the minute you get spilled blood on that saint of a bunch of strangers sitting in a room. So those are the people you have to take care of. You have to take care of everybody. Okay. And it's a great organization because there's plenty of money to be earned. Construction, it, it, go right down the line. You know, There's people still out there doing construction. They don't control the unions the way they used to. They're still millionaires in the construction business. Yeah, they fix jobs and bid rig jobs. Yeah, everybody's earning, though. There's really no victim. Okay, you know, well, well. This thing about. My, you know, the I, government's going to get in there and, and root out corruption in the, in the construction business because they force the prices up. Baloney. The prices are going to go up from those developments no matter what. It's been happening. Those prices are going up. You, know, you could take other Italian out of New York it's from, give, them, give them to Pennsylvania the <laughs> prices are still going to be the same it, it doesn't matter you know, it's, just, it's the economy, that's the business well, you know? Michael I, I just you
2: know? want I, I want to say we're, we're basically out of time but thank you so much it's been very interesting and uh, I'd love to maybe do another show where we talk about the 80s cause that's obviously a wild time as you said it would be fun to see why it was like that and you said something in the water and how it's changed but anyway thank you so much yeah. for coming on I appreciate your time and uh, thank you very much